Hey current and future Raw fans, we're here. This is it. The first official Raw Storytelling Podcast episode. Epic. <laughs> In case you were wondering who the hell am I listening to, I'm Enid Nolasco. Back in 2017, I founded a live true storytelling show in Fort Lauderdale, Florida named Raw Storytelling. Each month, I gather real people to share real stories about their life in front of a live audience. The shows are hosted by me and take place at a local Fort Lauderdale cafe called Cafe Collective. And from the beginning, I knew I wanted to record these stories so that one day I could share them with the universe via this podcast. And so this came to be. Each live show is themed and we'll do the same for each podcast episode. Each month I'll release an episode with the best stories from the theme show. And so without further ado, let's jump into these raw stories. The debut raw storytelling show back in October 2017 was themed first times. And I'm going to play for you the intro I did for that very first show and the very first raw story ever. Two quick things. Number one, you'll hear a very ripe Enid. Uh, yeah, me. It was my first time speaking into the mic and it definitely showed. Plus, there was some weird music seeping through the audio recording. I promise it only gets better from there. And number two, the live shows are truly uncensored, so you never know what you'll hear and you've been warned. Okay, let's get raw! We're gonna start our first ever raw storytelling show which is awesome. So I wanted to talk a little bit about raw storytelling before I actually started the actual fun part. I'm Enid. I started raw to this day, five months ago on May 12th. (laughs) Incredibly enough, it's only been five months. And it was because um, I was a speaker at Creative Mornings, the breakfast speaker series. And that man over there, Chris Heller, asked me, what like what's com- what's coming up for you? And I said, I think I want to start a true storytelling show. <laughs> and then, and then um, Evan Snow, Evan Snow, who a lot of people know, said, go to Accent Club. And I was like, what is that? And I went Accent Fort Lauderdale and Facebook, and I found this guy, Dynamo, and he has a cool group which is um, where you set goals and you make them come true with a lot of help from a lot of people. And in exactly five months to the day, this dream came true. So I'm so thankful to all the people that made that happen, <laughs> made it happen. Um, and I love podcasts. People who know that, know me, know that. And I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of storytelling podcasts, and I love Risk Podcast and The Moth, and that really changed my life because when I started listening to that, I realized there's so many people out there that have different experiences from myself, and it made me open my eyes to all the possibilities and all the colors of the world, and it just made me a better person, and I wanted to create a space where other people were affected by the things that I was affected by when I heard these podcasts. So the goal is for this to be a podcast. So this wonderful man over here, Juan, is actually recording all of this, and it'll be a podcast one day in the future. I don't know when. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much. So the the whole point of Raw is to create a a safe space where um, we can share, and it's uncensored, it's unfiltered, there's no judgment. I want you guys to clap, to laugh, to cry, to all the things you want to do. It's really just about being um, with your emotions in the moment. 
And the first storyteller is our friend Dynamo, who, like I said, started Axon Fort Lauderdale. His name is Ivan Dynamo de Jesus. And he, he also wants to get on Game of Thrones because he loves Game of Thrones. He wants to be an extra on Game of Thrones. So go to Get Dynamo on the Throne and share that video and make it happen for him because he really, really, really deserves it. And his story is called, it's a long title, hold on. It's called Under an Avocado Tree in Some Lady's Backyard in Kendall. Hey everybody, how you doing? So as you heard, my name is Ivan Dynamo de Jesus. And to give you a little bit of background, um, my birth name was Ivan de Jesus, and Dynamo came from when I was a kid, my mom uh, would make fun of me, <laughs> along with everybody in the neighborhood, because I was really shy, and I was really slow, like, you know, kind of like uh, timid. And what would happen is I would go to the summers in the Dominican Republic, and I grew up in the Dominican Republic when I was a kid, and they would make fun of me and call me slowly. And my mom would say, tú tienes que ser más dinámico, tienes que ser más dinámico. You gotta be more dynamic. Ojalá la casa coja fuego. Hopefully the house catches fire para verte correr, coño, so I can fucking see you run. <laughs> and so my friends loved that story and they loved making fun of me and saying, ah, dinámico, dinámico, dinámico. So one day I took ownership of it. And uh, I would go to bars. I grew up here in Miami. And when people would ask me, what's your name? I would say, my name is Dynamo, trying to sound deep and interesting. <laughs> and, uh, but then they would ask me, well, what's your real name? And I studied philosophy, as you'll tell by this story. And I would, I would answer, what is reality, right? And then uh, they would ask to see my license, and then they'd be like, oh, your name's not Dynamo. So then I went to court, and I legally changed my name to Dynamo. So my name is Ivan Dynamo de Jesus. I'll pass around my license later, and you can see it. But the moral of that story is that I really believe that we create our own realities. And uh, the story that I'm about to tell you is on how paper thin our realities truly are. And it's a story about me being in some lady's backyard in Kendall under an avocado tree and uh, doing this substance called ayahuasca. Oh yeah, oh yeah, buckle the fuck up. <laughs> it's about to get real. So what it is, Ayahuasca is this uh, hallucinogenic drug. So as you heard Sheila talk a little while ago, um, I run a goal setting group and basically it's a free goal setting group. Uh, there's no catch. Uh, I'm not gonna sell you, you know, whatever. It's, it's just people getting together to help people. So as I told you just a little while ago, I was really shy, but really I was depressed. And in high school, I w figured out how to be more social and all that. But I, I still had, which most, most people didn't know, this depression. And um, in high school, I got friendliest and best personality and best lips and best dressed. And uh, I had a friend that I told that once to, and she said, were you homeschooled? Uh, <laughs> but no, really, I did. And I had a graduating class. Uh, there was 4,000 kids in my school, and I, I was uh, part of 1,000. That meant a lot to me. I was an only child, and da 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 but nobody knew the struggle I was going through, that I couldn't get out of bed. And that continued into me being an adult and uh, starting in insurance. I started with a company called Prudential, uh, doing financial services, and, uh, and I just, I felt this weight, this like feeling of just not being enough. And I started this group because I wanted, I, I, was, re, I was watching TED Talks and Tony Robbins and doing all the things that you do to try to like do the self-improvement. And what was happening is that 
I was reading it and I really wanted to internalize it and I was doing all the positive thinking. You know, when you're sitting there and you're just like, ah, I'm gonna do this. And then I would wake up the next morning at two in the afternoon in bed and I just couldn't get out of bed. And it was, it, months would go by and, I would, and nobody would know that that was really going on with me. And so I started this goal setting group because I wanted to find people to kind of like support one another. And I started doing things. It started working. I started crossing things off my list. I went hang gliding, rock climbing, uh, whitewater rafting. I did sensory deprivation chamber in Del Rey where you get into a coffin filled with salt water and you float and you lose all senses of your body. And one of the things on my list, number 67 out of 256 goals that I have on my list, uh, was to cross off, have a psychedelic experience. I never had done any drugs. And uh, one of the group members in the group said, um, you know, uh, you can do mushrooms, or you can do whatever, but if you want to do 10 years of therapy in 10 hours, there's this thing called ayahuasca. And what it is, it's a, it's a vine and a root that grows in the Amazon. And they've been doing it for thousands of years in the Amazon. And basically, uh, there was a shaman under an avocado tree in Kendall that asked me to come up. And just to paint the scene, I'm there with a friend of mine from the group in Miami, along with another friend of mine from the group in Miami. And there's a dozen people there. And I'm going to tell you four different stories that I experienced under this avocado tree. And it's going to culminate with uh, the lesson of the first time. And so... I'm sitting under this avocado tree. There's a dozen people, a lot of hippie-looking people. You can imagine, lots of tree huggers. I'm not so much a tree hugger, but, you know, I'm open-minded. And I'm looking around. It's about eight girls, four guys, and the shaman and the shaman's assistant. And they're chanting, and they're doing burning sage and doing all this stuff. It's the middle of the day on a Saturday. And we're just in some lady's backyard in Kendall, which is like a suburban neighborhood in Miami. And we're on yoga mats, and they're doing, like, a prayer and they asked me to come up after like the fourth or fifth person comes up and with ayahuasca what it is it's a liquid and they pour this liquid after boiling it uh, with leaves and with all these other roots and the two ma major psychedelic drugs inside of this uh, uh, concoction and when you taste it um, it tastes like a mixture of prune juice dirt and ass mixed together and with a little bit of like, I don't know, truffle oil, it is not pleasant. But when I took this stuff, I had never had any type of experience. And so I took it and I sat down, nothing happened. And I took it and I sat down and nothing happened. And I thought, you know, I had heard all these stories about being able to take something and this table will turn into a dragon and fly across the room. And, you know, I can, I can imagine that happening. I can imagine this turning into a serpent and wiggling around in the air. I could imagine that happening, but does it really happen? And then I went and I took my third shot. And then I sat back down, and then I started looking around, and I thought about my friend who invited me to this, and she was kind of out there. And I thought, well, <laughs> maybe she invited me here to some type of crazy, like, sex cult or something. And I'm looking around, and it's like eight girls and four guys, and I'm like, I'm down. And I start, like, get in my head, it started, but in reality, like, I thought it was happening, and my, what was my reality? And so it's a total, like, Pornhub orgy, and it's going on, right? And I see your faces. Y you don't know until you're in the moment, but it's really happening, and 
all of a sudden, the thought comes into my head, and this is the crazy, this is the crazy uh, realization that I had. The thought comes into my head where, what if a guy were to come up to me, and um, I, I know there's something going on, and this is feeling great, and I'm seeing these beautiful women in front of me, and I'm feeling all this attention. What if a guy were to come up to me and, and put his penis in my mouth? And what if I were to like it? And then all of a sudden, it is full on, right? And I'm having a panic attack, and I'm experiencing it in the moment. And while I'm there, yeah, I see your faces. Yeah, imagine my face, right? And if I was gay, that'd be fine. I would have accepted that. But I realized in that moment the shame that I felt. And I felt, I thought of my mother, and I felt all this shame. And then I realized, oh wow, this is really happening and I'm enjoying it. And it, and, and it just took me to levels where it was as gay as gay can get. And the lesson was, at that moment I started thinking, huh, maybe I came here to find out I was gay. And at the, for the first time I questioned my sexuality, like really questioned it. And I even thought, well, as I was coming in and out of consciousness, because really what's happening to my physical body, I'm on a yoga mat. As I'm coming in and out of consciousness, I'm thinking, huh, oh, um, Wolverine, Brad Pitt? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, really handsome men to see, if, like, is this real? Like, because I'm coming out and I'm under the avocado tree again, and I see the people and everybody's, like, fine. Like, they're all dressed. And then I go back into it, and it's total orgy. And as I look around, I think to myself, huh, why is, what's the shame? And I realized that I grew up without a dad and I had shame about not being a man enough, about not being a man. And so in that moment, I had my manhood stripped from me, right? Where in reality, it's just a fabrication. And I, it took me having the most homosexual experience in a psychedelic episode for me to realize how much of a man I really was. And I realized that, no, I am heterosexual, and if I was homosexual, I'd be fine, and I kind of find that acceptance. And from that moment, it took me to another place where I played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. Did anybody here play Dungeons and Dragons? No, I'm the only nerd? All right, thanks. Thanks for making me feel alone up here. So there's this creature in Dungeons and Dragons, and it's called the Displacer Beast, and it's a panther, and it has six legs, and it's 15 feet long, and it has two jaws and tentacles that grow out of its back. And this thing is big and bad and nasty, and it's really hard to fight in this game, which you play with dice. And this creature comes up and creates illusions of itself. It creates a bunch of different illusions. And even though it's so powerful, it creates these replicas of itself, these phantasms, because it's scared. And right after that episode of the orgy, I had that vision. And that vision helped me realize that even the Displacer Beast, one of the biggest, baddest creatures in the Dungeons and Dragons, was afraid and was creating all these alter images. And I realized that both of those stories had to do one with, one with the other. That I, my entire life, wasn't accepting love and I was creating these alter images of what I thought I should be so that I could receive love. Yeah. And so then <laughs> I became a sixth-armed diva playing the drums, like the pod piper. People were following me. And 
I didn't understand what, every, what, what was going on. I, I, at this point, thought that I had lost my mind. Because if none of you have ever experienced it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like falling in love. You can listen to as many songs as you want. It's, it doesn't describe it. And I was a six-armed diva. I was uh, a barbarian lobbing people's heads off. Uh, I was a butterfly. I was all these different things. But ultimately, I got to a point where it started to overwhelm me, where I started to feel light and color and infinity. And like I explained earlier, I studied philosophy and I was basically an atheist. And there was a moment, and this is why people take ayahuasca, it's called ego death. There was a moment where I just wanted to die, where I thought I had jumped the fence to the backyard under the avocado tree and gone Grand Theft Auto and got, gotten shot down by uh, police officers because I was hijacking somebody's car and I was crazy and smashing things. And, and it's as real as the experience I'm experiencing right now. And I realized that I accepted my own death. And at that moment, I started delving into like infinity. And in the smallest speck, it was expanding into the largest of universe of just color and light and all the psychedelic images that you see when psychedelics are presented to you on TV or on the internet. And at that moment, I did the thing that I've been doing every, every moment since then. And that was the first time I had ever decided to take this uh, decision, to make this decision. So in honor of the topic today, that was the first time I decided to surrender. And I just decided to just give up. And it was the first time I think I felt that feeling that is described as grace, where I just felt like no matter fucking what, if I'm just under an avocado tree ODing on some DMT from some eye of fucking waska, I'm gonna be all right. Thank you very much. That was a great first raw story ever. Ugh, amazing. I'm so happy. Dynamo is an amazing human being. And you can find out more about Accent on Facebook. You can put an A-X-E-N club in Facebook and find a club near you. Our next storyteller is Sam Leggetti, our first female raw storyteller. And not only that, she was a big part of making raw happen. She was the first to volunteer to get a venue, to find food donations, to promote the show, and even to sign up to tell a story. She's an amazing storyteller as well. Her story is titled, My First Kiss Went a Little Like This. First of all, I just wanna say I am happy to represent the ladies here. I am the only... I am the only female storyteller tonight, which just shows me that all you ladies have to sign up to do stories. All right, my first kiss, my little like this. It's the name of this piece. <laughs> the man of my dreams was about to kiss me. I closed my eyes, leaned in, and waited to melt into the arms of this tall, strapping, 12-year-old man. Our lips banged together like the true novices we were, and uh, I felt nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I was like, 
isn't something supposed to be happening here? Like, aren't there supposed to be fireworks and like and like sappy music playing? And like, can't like a water fountain just appear and go off? It's fairy lights and and can't the AC at least cough up a little romantic breeze for crying out loud? Like, give me something. But instead, I just I was my first kiss and I might as well have been kissing a wall. I didn't know what was going on because I thought I had a crush on this boy. I mean. He had these like really green eyes and tan skin, and he made me forget how to form sentences, you know? And he had like a little shell necklace. I thought that was cool. Uh, he knew how to skateboard. I was like, teach me. And he had just moved to Florida, and out of all the girls in Florida he could have picked, he like picked me, so I was really flattered. And I, he invited me on to his house, to his parents' house, to watch a movie. And so I got all dressed up in my best outfit, which was an Abercrombie and Fitch t-shirt, um, lime green, and a, a jean skirt that was actually a skirt with like little pleats, <laughs> and uh, my hair in a side ponytail. So needless to say, I looked really good, and uh, was feeling great. Showed up to his house, and all of a sudden, I was just in this strange living room, alone with the boy for the first time in my life and I realized I have no idea how to be alone in a living room with a boy for the first time in my life and so I just am like like looking around like not saying anything just admiring the decor you know uh, and then I really am looking at the decor because I realized that there's a lot of eyes looking at me, like a lot of little creatures everywhere. And, and, and they're all like bushy-tailed and they're all squirrels, to be exact. There are squirrels everywhere in this house. This family has a thing for them, apparently. And I'm like, my anxiety is like mixing with the squirrels and I'm like this blanket and I like see the yarn squirrels and I like imagine them appearing. And then like the lamp, there's like bronze squirrels that are like, wee, but they like, there's something creepy about them. Like they're, like they're happy, but they're like too happy, you know? And then on the mantelpiece, there's these like porcelain squirrels and they like dead eyes but they're like frozen in these like perfect postures like yay like like I'm a squirrel but you know what they're really thinking is like is like like they're not thinking like I'm a squirrel they're really thinking like like at midnight we will feast on human flesh or something like that and so and I realized that and I realized that they're just trapped there in these little forms and these postures trying to break free and and they're doomed to look at this the mundane happenings of this suburban living room for the rest of time. And I'm one of those mundane happenings, just sitting here on the couch with this boy and, and scared shitless on my date. And and those squirrels, like, they're looking right at me into my soul. Anyways. We start saying something, some words, and I say some words, and we start watching a movie. And I was like, all right, I can do this. I can watch a movie. That's an activity. This is cool. So we're watching the movie, and then Lee literally does the thing from sitcoms where the guy's like, like I'm just I'm just stretching my arm here and then oh what do you know there's your arm and oh down the arm and for the full hour I'm not focusing on the drama of this movie I'm focusing on the drama of his little arm like creeping down my arm and I'm not sure how I'm feeling about it and after about an hour of this he just seems to decide that the moment has come. And so he turns towards me and has this look of determination on his face and he kisses me. 
and this is when I feel nothing. And then he decides to do something even worse and stick his tongue down my mouth, down my throat. And I still remember that feeling. It felt so invasive to me. And I had this, like, and he didn't know what to do with it, you know? Because, like, so he, like, stuck his tongue in my mouth, and he just, like, wailed it around, kind of. And, and I, I had this, like, visualization that I was, like, in this dark tunnel, and I was, like, cr crouching in this tunnel, and there were these, like, dripping stalagmites and stalactites everywhere, and this snake was just darting in and out of the tunnel trying to get me. And this was too much for me, okay? So I just pushed him away, and I was like, I was like, what the fuck, man? Except I didn't say that, because I was 12. I was like, what the heck, dude, or whatever I said. And, and he just looked at me, and he was like, and he just had this dopey smile on his face. So he had, he had no idea what I was going through. He thought it was going great. And I was just like, listen, um, I'm gonna go to the bathroom now. And I just ran away to the bathroom. And in the bathroom, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was like, white as a ghost. I was like, all right, what do I do? Like, thought I could be kissing boys. Clearly not ready to be kissing boys right now, so uh, what's the plan? And I look around, and uh, there's a window. There's a window in this bathroom. And there's also a soap dispenser that could act as a foothold. And I also have a pink razor flip phone that I could use to call my mother, who has a minivan, who could use her minivan to come get me and save me in her getaway car and get me the fuck out of there. And so I'm like, all right, this is what's happening. And I literally like walk up to the shower and I'm like going to escape. And then I, you know, apparently have some kind of inner voice in my head that's like a conscience or whatever. And this little voice is telling me, like, no, no. Don't do that. That's cowardly. Think about his face. Like, I thought about his face and how vulnerable he looked on the couch. And I knew he had no idea where my head was at. And I owed it to him to tell him what was going on with me. So, got myself ready for that. Walked back out to the couch, sat down on the couch. I was like, Lee, I, I thought I was ready to be kissing boys. And I'm just not. I'm so sorry. Emily looked at me, and he was just silent. And I was like, fuck, like, I just made him mad. Like, is he okay? He looks really upset, and he was just silent, you know? And I was like, oh, he looks so upset. And I was like, oh, fuck, he's really upset. And I was like, I'm in his house, and, and he's mad. And if he's mad, these squirrels, like, these are his squirrels, and, like, they're mad. And I'm looking at all the squirrels, and I'm like, they're looking really sentient to me right now. Like, what if they... And then I'm like, the blanket squirrels could just, like, claw their way out of the yarn and, like, attack. And then, like, the, the like, bronze squirrels, they're, like, heavy, so they could do some damage. And then the mantelpiece squirrels, I just picture them gaining consciousness, and their eyes just, like, beaming red, and just, like, just, like, throwing away their shitty porcelain nuts and being like, you are our true meal, you know, attack! And, and I was like, fuck! And, and then, this is all in the space of two seconds that I'm having this freak out. And then Lee just looks at me and he goes, yeah, you know, that's okay. Uh, there's actually this girl, this neighbor, and like she comes over sometimes and all she wants to, she's like older, she's like 14. And like all she wants to do is make out with me all the time. So it's kind of refreshing to be with a girl who doesn't want to do that. <laughs> I was like, what, really? <laughs> And he was like, yeah, it's chill, it's cool. Uh, like, wanna go play basketball? 
And I was like, yeah, I don't want to play basketball. <laughs> so we go outside and, and, and we start shooting some hoops and I'm not very good, but it doesn't matter. And, and then the sun starts to set and there's some happy real squirrels just like perched on a tree, you know, minding their own business. And my mom comes to get me in her minivan and just pulls up to see two kids talking and laughing, having a great time. So <laughs> I thought this was gonna be my first time having a romantic experience and like having that feeling like you get in the movies that you see. And it absolutely was not that. It was my first kiss and it was something else that to me now is much more important, which it was my first time having to express my feelings about a sexual situation and have them listened to. Uh, and I'd like to say that since then, that's always been my experience, and it's absolutely not been, um, which is also why this story comes up for me, because it makes me realize that between the age of 12 and 20-something, we kind of lose this instinctive, natural sense of how to respect people and listen to them, especially in like a vulnerable, intimate situation, because we start thinking about sex, especially casual sex, as more of like, some kind of conquest or competition, and it doesn't matter how the other person feels, it's just about doing it. And, and so I think it's, so I think about this, and I think about my bravery in being able to tell him how I felt, and I remember how good it felt when he listened to me. So it was my first time learning that if you're able to openly communicate with a partner that you can transform a dark and scary cave full of snakes into a sunlit driveway full of bouncing basketballs. Thank you. Our last featured storyteller for this episode is Ryan Sorois Heller. He's a good friend who I've always described as somebody who is the easiest and most interesting person to talk to. He's not only a talented artist and graphic designer, he's also an accomplished author. You can find his autobiography, King of Stars, that tells the story of his road to sobriety at ryansoroys.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-I-R-O-I-S.com. This story is titled The Moment Before, and it's the perfect sneak peek to the goodness you'll find in his book. So, here it goes. Um, as Enid said, my name is Ryan Heller, Ryan Sorois. I got married two years ago to that guy over there, and, um, and I took on his last name, so I'm Ryan, I'm Ryan Heller now. Um, so, honestly... As we were, Chris and I were driving over here, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to talk about today. I, I, I had different topics that I was going to throw out, and, and I had some this morning, I had some last night, and I had one as we were driving over. And that came about because the, the title that I um, came up with is The Moment Before. And it's something, it's a, it's a topic that I've been thinking, or a theme that I've been thinking about personally a lot lately, and that is this idea of the moment before a big event in our, in our lives happens, and 
Everything, as we know, is turned upside down and changes. And not so much the specific um, outcome of this big life-changing event, but more so the moments before it happens. And the fact that we're blindsided to what's about, the, the, blindsided to the snow globe of our life being turned completely upside down, whether it's a, a death in the family, or a birth, or a marriage, or the loss of a job, or it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's the idea of the events and the people in our lives, the things that are happening that lead us up to this specific moment. So um, as we were driving over here in the car, I said to Chris, you know, I think I, I, think I might want to talk about the, the moments before, the moment before I got sober from drugs and alcohol. And I had realized on the way over that I'm about to come up on six years of sobriety. And for me, that's a pretty awesome accomplishment. Um, where I am in my life today is very different than where I was in my life six years ago. And, and my husband can attest to that. He was my boyfriend at the time. And I think he was ready to jump ship. He Actually, he was ready to jump ship. And, and that was kind of the catalyst for, for all of this. But But... Before I get into that, I want to say now I'm married and we have two beautiful children that were just born four and a half months ago, twi a twin boy and girl, and they're the most amazing things that have happened in my life. And I think it's important to say that because what I'm going to say, those moments before I got sober, for me it's significant to know that there's always, um, there's always a place that we're going on the journey to wherever it is that we're going to end up. And there's a reason for everything. And even in the darkest of times, it's not for nothing. And there's always a reason for everything in life. So I got sober, um, or I went to rehab, I should say, July 5th, 2011. Everything before that, from the time I was 14 to the time I was 28, I was a very active drug and alcohol abuser. So I'm gonna talk about July 4th, 2011. Chris had just um, get, given me an ultimatum as well as my family that if I didn't get my life together, um, if I didn't change, if I didn't get sober and get help, that everybody was gonna leave me. They were, they were done, they were gonna cut me off and I was gonna be on my own. And at that point, I was already so void of self and depressed and low. And there's not much further down you can sink when you've lost all sense of identity and sense of, of self-love and esteem. So for whatever reason, I knew I, I had to finally get my shit together. And that night before we... Before, the night before I went to rehab, I was packing my bags. I was alone in our bedroom. And let me tell you, there's not much you can take to rehab. I mean, you can't take mouthwash. You can't take games. You can't take your phone. No paint. No notebooks. It's just the clothes you go in with, and that's it. The rest is purely recovery-based, because that's what they want you to focus on. So I'm packing my bags with my essential clothes, and I get a phone call and it was from my aunt. And I pick up the phone and I sit in a chair, a chair actually kind of like that, it was a big cushiony chair and I was curled up exactly like you are right now. And I start talking to her 
And she's saying, you know, I want you to know that I am proud of you for what you're doing, but you have to know you have to get your life together because you're 28 and you can't live like this anymore. We're, nobody in the family is proud of what you have done. We're proud of what you're doing now. We're happy, but everybody had given up on me. And for some reason, those words started to actually sink in for the first time because I was oblivious to the pain that I was causing, not just myself, but to everybody in my life, you know? Um, and so it started to sink in right there, and, and, and I started to cry, and I hadn't cried in, in years. I, don't, I do not cry, and I, and I had a lot of pride in the fact that I do not cry. So when that started to trickle in, it was like, a, like, like a, a faucet was turned in my chest, and I started to just kind of like open up a little bit. And sometimes that's all it takes for the floodgates to really open, right? You like let the dam down a little, and stuff just starts pouring out. And she said, I want you to know how disappointed your grandmother would be in you if she were alive. And that was it. My grandmother, my whole life before she passed away, was my best friend. And she was a woman that I held in the highest of esteem who accepted me for who I was before I could even possibly comprehend accepting myself for who I was. And that broke me. I was bawling, hysterical, crying. Emotions that I hadn't felt in over a decade started to flood out of me because I realized for the first time, it was like lights were flicked on in the bar when suddenly everything, like you see the grime and like the party's over and you're like, oh my God. Or you wake up the next morning and you see you sitting next to you or laying in bed next to you and you're like, oh my God, turn the lights back off, turn the lights back off. And I was seeing my life almost instantly for the first time at the thought that my grandmother would be disappointed in me. And I was bawling, and I got off the phone with her, and I went into the bathroom, and I turned off the lights, and we had this little small bathroom, and I did the same thing that I used to do as a kid growing up my entire life. I used to always go hide in the very back corner of the closet in the house that I grew up in because it was safe, and I felt secure being away from everybody. I was very fearful kid. And so I so innately did the exact same thing as a 28-year-old. I went into the bathroom, turned off the light, shut the door, and I just started bawling. And all of these feelings and emotions that I had bottled up for so long in my life started to flood out. And then it was like... I know it sounds cliche and, and, and whatever, but it's true. It was like all of a sudden this weight started to kind of lift a little bit. And in my head, in my, in my core, in my spirit, I felt my grandmother. And, and I'm not, I was not the kind of person to have these holy experiences. I'm not a religious person by any means. But I felt her in that moment of pure desperation and pain. And it was like all of it kind of lifted for just a minute. 
all of the insecurity and the sadness and the fear lifted and, and I felt like, maybe I felt hope, you know? That feeling of hope when you're like, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can do something different. And all those tears and the crying that I was doing, it like so, so innately suddenly turned into laughing. And I just started laughing and, and, and belly laughing. And it was the weirdest thing because I must have looked like a crazy person if you had a camera in there. And, and I went to my knees and I had never prayed in my life. And I just started asking God, who I had no relation with before that. God and I never spoke before. I didn't have any kind of spiritual or religious background, and I just started to pray to this thing that I had heard people talk about just because I didn't know what else to do, and I started to pray, please help me. I don't know what to do. I just know I'm going to lose everything, and I can't live the way that I've been living my whole life. And at that minute, on the other side of the door, I heard Chris with our dog Max playing on on just the other side. And I realized in that moment that all these things that I said I wanted in my life to be happy, if I had the relationship, if I had the dog, if I had the house, if I had the job, if I had XYZ materialistic things in my life, I would be happy and I wouldn't need to abuse drugs, right? So I realized in that moment, I had everything I always said that I ever wanted, but it was me. I was empty. I didn't love myself. I had everything I wanted on the other side of that door. And all I had to do for the first time in my life was one thing different. I had to open the door. I had to step literally out of the darkness of that bathroom, the metaphorical darkness of my life, right? Step out into the light and embrace what I already had. Be grateful for what I already had. And that's it. That's what I did. As simply complicated as that one step, a threshold from bathroom to bedroom is, it was the hardest, easiest step I've ever taken in my life. And after that day, I went to rehab And I went on this crazy journey to transform myself, my life, and connect with somebody that I always knew was there but could never access. And it was the first time, it was the first time I ever took my life into my own hands while at the same time letting go of my life completely, if that makes any sense. And it's a bumpy road, and it, it got me to, to sitting here right now talking to you, but it was the best journey, the hardest journey, and the most rewarding journey that I've ever taken. So thank you, guys. Remember to check out Ryan's book, King of Stars, at ryansiroyce.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-I-R-O-I-S.com. His book is amazing, and so is the cover art, so check it out.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the first raw storytelling podcast ever. Thank you for being a part of raw from the beginning. It means so, so much to me. Keep an eye out or an ear out, whatever, for our next episode that drops in a month from today. And meanwhile, rate us on iTunes. It really, really helps get these stories out there, reaching more people. So rate us and review us. Also, follow Raw on Instagram and Facebook at Raw Storytelling and check out our awesome sauce website, rawstorytelling.org. And on the site, you can find more featured stories, find storytelling tips, and get info on upcoming live shows. So it's rawstorytelling.org. The live show audio was recorded by DJ Sondos at Z-O-N-D-O-Z at Cafe Collective in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And thanks to Dogs of Fun for documenting our shows each month. The music you hear now and at the top of this episode is by Pottington Bear. Until next time, stay raw.